Is Mr. Obed Babela listening? Dr. Babela, how does that sound to you? Uh, I'm fine, and uh, how are you? I'm fine. How, how, how does that sound to you, that music? Hmm? Are you taken to a place? Uh, actually, yeah, it's right a little bit in the background. <laughs> Let's talk matters of cooperative governance and traditional affairs. Thank you so much for availing your time. I certainly know for a fact you had less than 24 hours to prepare for this interview. We don't take a deputy minister's time for granted, but I think we're going to use this space appropriately as a teaching and learning opportunity, um, the work of the department, but particularly answering the critical question that one of our listeners last night posed to us. I have absolutely no doubt that Cyril, not the Cyril you are thinking of, Nadia Babela, Cyril in Kokstad, he, okay. he asked a question which prompted us to actually engage this very conversation, the role of traditional leadership in local government generally, but in the context of local government elections specifically. So to the extent that you and the producer had a conversation, I don't want to prompt you with a particular question because that's invariably going to limit the scope of your response. I just want you to speak openly, as it were. When I say the role of traditional leadership in local government and what role traditional leaders in the light of these elections and immediately after what is expected of them? What is their function? What powers do they have? What powers do they not have? And and how are we as members of the community at large are to engage our traditional leaders? I'm, I'm going to ask that question and, and, and speak off the cuff, of course, relevant material, to the extent that it's going to lend the kind of knowledge we seek to better understand how our different spheres of government operate. Okay. Look, uh, currently we, we have a system of local government. That is another sphere of government. We have three spheres of national, provincial, and local government. And then the local government, then you, you have what you call municipalities. There are 257 of them across the country. And within the municipalities, there's what you call category A, category B, and category C. Is those that are made for politan municipalities. We have eight in South Africa. Uh, a metropolitan would be like the city of Johannesburg, city of Tuani, Teguini, city of Babafalo City, and uh, Nelson Mandela Bay. Those are your metros. Then there are eight of them out of the 257. Then we then have the district which is 44 districts all in all. And then, then we then have the, the local municipalities uh, that you, you then have. And it is what we call the all-to-all system, meaning every geographic space in South Africa, without exception, is under a municipality, one way or the other, particularly the local municipalities. And, uh, and then we then have uh, traditional leaders that are there uh, within that municipality or to our system who also have a form of a role that they have in that they have a jurisdiction, as we call it, mm-hmm. where the traditional leader then will be a leader of that jurisdiction of that particular land 
or a national group, as others will call, or a tribe. But I'll, I'll prefer the word national group because national groups come together to form a nation. We, 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 we also recognize the, what the Constitution has described as we are united in our diversity. Therefore, diversity is not destroyed in the nation building in South Africa. We recognize the existence of these national groups, whether it's Swana speaking, mm-hmm. Songa speaking, Venda speaking, but in them, you then have the traditional leaders who have a land that is under their care and they are the custodian of that land to ensure that the custodian on cultural traditions and, uh, and, and, and traditional practices are allowed. So we have 863 traditional leaders in the country, but we find them in all municipalities, particularly the rural municipalities, that's where they are quite a dominant factor. They, they are in control of the land on behalf of the people. The land belongs to the people that we are living as national groups, and, uh, and then they are the custodian of that particular land. They've got power to allocate land to their own people as and when the need arises. People will go to, to the royal palace, to the royal leader, and say, we, we are now a growing family. Some of our children are now grown, and they need a piece of land for either human settlement or they need a piece of land for plowing or for agricultural activity of this or that. And then they must also, in the functioning uh, of the land and the use of the land, also provide land for grazing for those who've got cows, goats, or sheep, or whatever, and livestock that might be there. And then for those who might then go for the crop type of activity. So they need to give because that land ought to be utilized to really deal with the issues of uh, poverty, elevation, ending hunger, and so forth. So that is the system of traditional leadership, but they are not a government. Government is in the local municipality, but they are very existing with the control of the land. And mm. this time, a municipality wants to use the land, they must enter into negotiations, agreements, and any government department that might want to use the land in the traditional leadership system, they must also still go through the traditional leaders and the council for a school to be built, a clinic to be built, a a hospital to build, whatever, or a road that passes through, so that on their land, they can also ensure that their people benefit from a South Africa that is one, Mm -hmm. uh, with all the benefits that then that goes with it. I appreciate that, and I would imagine just from that outline, from that framework that you have painted out, the listeners will participate. I recall the number, Johannesburg, 714-2006. Voice notes, 0614-104-107. Please remember, and I forget to do this at times, but I would imagine it is pretty obvious. Keep it short, keep it simple, no background noise, under a minute. Straight to the point, name and surname at the end would be ideal so that we can put these to Mr. Obed Babela, Deputy Minister, Corporate Governance and Traditional Affairs. My take out from the majority of your contribution so far, Ndade Babela, is that land is central to the establishment of traditional authority in this country. We talk about 863 traditional leaders, and land is the basis upon which they have 
their existence. Now, this land question is layered. It is political, obviously, but it is also very socio-economic without incorporating in any of the politics of it all. You say that they are custodians of the land, traditional leaders, that is, custodians of the land that belongs to the people, but it is the traditional leaders nonetheless who allocate land against a petition to their respective compounds, if you will, for whatever growth that the members of that community seek more land for. Does this not create a tension, an inherent tension? By virtue of where one is born, he or she controls land. Look, for instance, at the Zulu Kingdom, Ingonyama Trust. 30% of KwaZulu-Natal, the land, KZN, as we know, the boundary, 30% of that is under King Mrs. Zulu now, as it were. Does that not create tension, just inherent tension, in a constitutional setup that guarantees right to property, that guarantees the related freedoms that come with property ownership, never mind the financial freedoms that one can really capitalize on from just owning and having title to land in your name? Well, obviously there are contradictions. And in any contradiction, definitely there are bound to be tensions for a variety of reasons. Uh, one is that there are four patterns of land ownership in South Africa. Or mm-hmm. three, if not four. One is the communal land, which is under the custodian of the traditional leaders, and the percentage of that uh, communal land is uh, comprised of 15% of the land mass uh, in South Africa. And in that land, you get one-third of the population, which is about 20 million people who reside uh, in those traditional uh, communal areas. So it's a fact that people are there, it's not just land, and then these people are led by Ingos or Jose or Morena. And then therefore, those who chose or choose to live in that particular area will then subject themselves to the customs and the traditions of that particular area because, as I said, you know, the Constitution does allow diversity. Uh, of our existence, and I think that makes us stronger because we do not want to suppress any of the the, the, the groups based on their language or their culture or their tradition. And then another form of ownership is the private ownership, which almost is 80% of the land is in the private land. As we know that way, there was a there was colonization. And, uh, and 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 in that colonization and in the 1800s there was introduction of the title deed system for the ownership of the private land and majority of the land in South Africa is in the private hands. Then we have the state also as a controller of land, and some is in the public work, some is in the department, whereas mm-hmm. some is in the defense force, some of it is in the state-owned entities. So it, it cuts across. So that is a third of ownership. Then we've got the fourth, which is trust. Uh, some is churches that have used land parcels that belong to them, the Roman Catholics, who are Lutheran Catholics, Lutheran churches, and others that also used to own a lot of land before they participated 
or they subdivided it and it moved to some of the families where it's privately owned by the families, not their big corporates as such. So those are the patterns of land ownership in South Africa. And luckily so, we are now engaging with the traditional leaders as government around the, 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 the nature of the, colon, the, the, the communal land. That this communal land ought to give rights of some sort to the people. Yes, they say they don't want to so there will not be any title because collectively owned that land. However, there must be security of tenure on the land so that people can enjoy their rights like all other South Africans with that security of tenure on a communally owned land. So we are now beginning to look at what policy and what legislation can then come in. And we have made a start uh, just during uh, the COVID, just before COVID, and uh, it continued during the COVID time, where there was a delegation that went to Uganda to go and look at, the, at studying their communal land systems, went to Botswana, but unfortunately COVID happened. Uh, Ghana was on the on the schedule of treating Tanzania. Just to say, those countries were liberated or they got freed from colonialism and they got their independence in the 1960s. Uh, and we only got ours in 1994. What did they do? What can we learn from them? And that's why we are really first practices came out of there. And the traditional leaders who we had traveled with, they loved the Ghana model, which got its independence in 1957 and was the first African country to have that independence. So they seemed like... Sudan the was the first African country to get the independence, but I get why people would say Ghana... Which one? Sudan before that, but I get why people would say Ghana okay, because of okay, the Nkrumah okay, factor. Fine. Yeah, I'll not go into that detail. Sure, fine. sure, sure. Yeah, no. so, 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 they, they seem like to have liked that. So, we are now modeling and engaging and debating. We have visited all the provinces, we have met with the traditional leaders. The other discussions are now going to the communities because the land belongs to the communities and the traditional leaders are right. they can't take a decision on their own. The people who live in that land must also concur or have ideas of yes. on how to really model so that the Secretary of Kenya becomes an issue. But the fear that they see is that they wouldn't want the hands to fall in private hands because once it goes individual... Legitimacy is gone, yeah. The, the traditional leaders and the communities themselves, they are quite a mix on them. That then the banks, the people will go and make loans at the banks, and at the end, at least 13% of the land ownership in South Africa, or 15%, will end up now be privately owned because people default when they get loans, and then, then the banks will go and annex the land. Isn't that a rather pessimistic way of looking at how land is actually? a leverage for economic development as opposed to bondage. I mean, I accept that that is an invariable consequence of defaulting. Yeah. It happens with anything, not just land. But land on its own is precisely why we have the land question in this country. It's the basis upon which to launch economic growth, certainly traditionally. Why would, of all things that you could say to us, sell us that as a stumbling block as to why communal land should perhaps remain the way that it is, as opposed to not move with the economic times? Well, look here, land is a, it is a neutral asset for any growth and development. Agreed, and you, yes. And you, you can't do anything. 
So now we need to look at the, at the as it as a land parcel that is in the hands of the people collectively. I mean, we, I know that there are discussions still on the expropriation of land, and there are those who say land must be in the control of the state, and no one should own land. So meaning even the private ownership must be scrapped. There are those who are arguing for that position. And there are those who say, let's have a model that comprises of all the models and modalities that exist, private ownership, communal ownership, but then, then begin to give certain rights uh, that can uh, help us to really go for the economic growth and the development on land so that everybody grows and the land doesn't just lay fallow uh, across the, the nation. So let's allow those issues to unfold and until there is a national consensus at some point. We hope that there will be a land uh, in Daba. Uh, that is going to be held sometime next year. COVID came in and presented this Okay. Yeah. I accept. It, it, it does sound, though, the cart has been put before the horse because right now there is an expropriation bill that is before Parliament that is about to do the but rounds. If only not. looking at 87% of the land. It doesn't touch the safety of 15% of the communal land. Thanks the for communal- the clarity. Thanks for the and clarity. There's another agenda, yes. Very well. No, I appreciate that. Thank you. I appreciate that. Let's take calls. Ndate Babela, um, I'm just going to now give it all to the listeners to participate. If you can have a notepad next to you so that you can just take... Th- I'm just going to go through all the calls because I anticipate there will be many. We're starting with Cyril in Kokstad, the very um, germinator of this discussion. So welcome, Cyril. After you, Aisha in Uppington. Cyril? Good, good evening, uh, Sangeza, uh, and... and uh to the uh, listeners and uh, to the deputy, uh, Robert Mampella. Mr. Mampella, am I pronouncing your name correct? Mampella. Bapella. B-A-P-E-L-A. Bapella, right. Please. Mr. Mampella, you remember in 2013, we had a caution in Daba in Kimberley. And uh, that was about the 1913 cut-off date, the reverse of the 1913 cut-off date. Now, my question to you, there in that meeting, you said that the Khoisan are not the first indigenous people. Now, I will move forward because I want to I have an answer to a pertinent question here about the constitution of South Africa. My take, and will you... The Khoisan is umbrella word which includes the Greek and so on. You know all the groups. That when you talk about the leaders. When seven kings were legitimized by the 2003 Framework Act, we are now in 2021. The Khoisan are brought in. The commission is there now. The Khoisan community will apply. Now, can a traditional leader, what role will a traditional leader play if that traditional leader has got no land? The king of the Zulus, God Gozulu, Natal, the Pondos, uh, they got all your kings with their land, whether it was the homeland or whatever. Mm. They mm. had that, and they had communal land. When I speak about the Greek war, mm. the Greek were their own system, their own parliament, and so on, in the apartheid days, they had no communal land. They had private land. And Cop granted their followers with a grant, a farm and a town property. Now, all that got lost in the apartheid days. Now we have a restitution act to reclaim our land. Now in the constitution, section 25, 
And here comes in the ANC and the EFF. Doesn't matter who tabled it, but they voted together to amend the Constitution. But they so conveniently did not include the subsection, I think it's seven or eight, that speaks of the 1913 cut-off date. Now, we are marginalized. We can only claim land after 1913. Yet our former president, Jacob Zuma, said in the EPSA Stadium in Durban, January, I can't remember the date, that the Khoisan are marginalized. The 1913 cut-off date must be reversed. Let's go, Cyril. We see now with expropriation of without compensation, that is not going to happen now. It's going to happen after. But they are talking about uh, reversing that date, 1800s. Now, if that does not take place, the Khoisan, what role will they play? Are they just going to be there? A paycheck? Those are the concerns. Fantastic. Uh, yes, I think you got my, my question. We've got the gist of it, Cyril. I do appreciate that. I anticipate that something along similar lines will be expressed by Aisha, but of course I'm not her mouthpiece. She is on the line calling from Uppington to have her say. Aisha, go for it. Thanks for calling. Good evening, Tangeza. Thank you for last week. That was food for my soul. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you indeed. Go for it. And 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 it's nice to know that that at least you and Lucifer, you are there for us. Now let me uh, deal with your guest. Good evening, Deputy Minister. Go for it, Aisha. He's listening. Yeah, yeah, he can. Daddy Papela yeah, is listening. Okay. I am the woman that you snubbed last time when you were in the Northern Cape and the traditional leader of the Kraper family. Yeah? The successor to Mr. David Kraper, Mr. David Karisek. That's one. Two, the, I would like you to please explain to me something, if I'm understanding this correctly. Traditional leaders that, that, that sit in in municipalities have no decision-making power. Am I correct in that? They can suggest, but they cannot decide. That is my first question. My second question is, out of the Koi and Clan traditional leadership, what is the number of traditional leaders that you people are prepared to accept into the National House of Traditional Leaders and are the permanent members. Thank you so much. And then I want to say to Cyril, Cyril, relax, leave land claim. <laughs> the country is ours. Relax, we're going to deal with it. Thank you so much, Aisha in Uppington, calling us. And Dade Babela, you want to respond to the listeners? Also, here's a comment coming through from one of our listeners as well. And I don't want to be in any way um, accused of censorship. And I'll read it as it is. Dear Honorable Deputy Minister, just now Songhezo will be running out of time. Please cut to the chase when answering the question. Thanks from Mandake in Katlehong. The question is that he is now reinforcing Mandake. That is, what is the role of traditional leaders in elections. Mandake, thanks for your comment. 21.34, there are 10 minutes left. Ndate Papel. No, no, thanks for that. I will definitely be as short and brief so that I can accommodate more. 
quite simple. I never said that you are not the first. I said Africa did not have borders. So people were migrating, moving up and down. And definitely you've got something to show in terms of the, the rock art to say you want to visit these places. And they're all over, including up to Egypt. Yeah, you could look at that south, north, west, and east of Africa. You were there. And then, then the African, uh, the, the Bantu stand, as they call them, the Bantu, uh, as they call them, uh, they will then be pastorals and they will then inhabitate, live rooms wherever they might have settled their community. So Africa was just one. Africa is for all of us. Uh, and therefore, we are all Africans on an African soil. So it was in that particular context that we are one, including the Christian people. Uh, on, on, on the other issues of the whether the, the, the land will be restituted, the, the cut-off date indeed is 1918. However, for the for the Christian people, there will be a dispensation of land allocation that will arise after the commission has identified who are the, the traditional leaders or leaders of the question and the establishment of their community. And then, and then obviously there will be land allocations that will arise from the expropriation uh, agenda that is there in the country. So you will definitely also have land in addition to the communities or people that will be living. So you will not be excluded. So let me go then to the role of the, the traditional leaders in the municipalities. Yes, the decision-making is only elected people who are the councillors. Mm-hmm. However, the influence towards the position is a very crucial role that traditional leaders can play. Hence, we have a city delegation that is in all councils where there are traditional communities uh, or Christian communities will definitely be there soon as we are recognized. And, and then you can then influence the decision. But also there are other laws that govern uh, the, uh, the, the special planning, for example, anything doesn't happen until there's consensus with the traditional leaders across the country where land use uh, comes into being and you then enter into engagement with them and are able then to do so. Uh, and then then the issue of... Uh, uh, no, no, I think I... I, I, I sure, I, I do want to carry on from where you left off because I think this is a, an important point that Mandake asked and that you have now responded to the fact that traditional leaders are not part of the local government authority because they are not elected. Here's something which as a result then becomes disturbing for me just as an observer, not necessarily representing a particular constituency, but I would imagine this has to be cleared up in one way or the other. Is it then not appropriate, given the fact that a king or a prince or a chief or headman, as the case may be, who would go to council, not as a voting member, not as a member of council, but to go there carrying, if you like, the mandate of the community that he is a custodian of in engaging the council for the purposes of how this community that he leads or she leads should be serviced and should get access to state resources. Why then, if that is the case, legally that is the case, why is it then when, for instance, political parties are campaigning, a traditional leader would be on stage talking to the people as opposed to being 
on the ground with the people talking to those persons coming into open close quote his or her territory canvassing for votes because ultimately his interest is not on the stage political party that is his or her interest is on the ground where he or she belongs how does that happen is that not a conflation on altogether abomination of what one's fiduciary is or should be well first let me correct one thing one traditional leaders do have reserved seats in the council. It's automatic. They don't have to go through an election. Once the council gets established, they either get allocated two or three seats. They then decide in that particular area as to who will then be these saving members who will then have a seat, but without voting rights. They have participatory rights, but not voting rights. Are they so members of the council? They become members of the council once they, their names are are submitted as to who is going to be the, the people occupying the two or the three seats that are allocated. They are reserved and they belong to them. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Just a point of clarity because I'm working off a Salga document, Brief 8 of 2012, open close quote, traditional leaders are not members of council and as such have no voting powers. This is in line with Section 4 of Traditional Leadership and Governments Framework Act. Are you now saying they are members of council? Well, Section 81 of the Municipal Structures Act, as amended in 2021, mm-hmm. has now given them that particular specific role. I and see. we have added it uh, to enlarge it under the traditional question leadership act. And as it has been a lot of specifics around their role. So they are they members are, without voting power? With their members without voting Very power. Very well, but sure. They are limited in terms of the number of the seats. Yes. And also, when there's election campaign like it is now, the traditional leaders, any leader that goes and do any canvassing in their own areas, first go and pay courtesy and salutation to the traditional leader as they walk in, to then ask for a right to go and talk to the people. And they allow every political party that arrives in that area to come and canvass for, because they themselves they are not a political party, mm. but they must allow for freedom of expression, association, by allowing all those political parties. And if they so decide that they invite you on the stage, others will go, others will say, I prefer not to go to the stage. So it's not all the time that you find them on the stage. Is, is that not a challenge? I mean, if they go to offer salutations and then go and canvas where the traditional authority is, why then would or should a traditional leader assume the stage talking to the people and saying to them, I encourage you to vote for this party, when in effect those parties should be canvassing and leave, and then the traditional leader, as it were, caucuses with the community and says, this party presented the best manifesto for the needs of ourselves here as a community. Therefore, in the light of all these parties who have come to canvas, I would encourage us then to give this party a chance. Surely that's more appropriate in the context of them being members of the community who then go and sit at council to represent that community as opposed to well, be partisan. Yeah, well, well there, there, there should be non-partisan, and that is why majority of them you will never see them on the stage. Uh, that's why after being <laughs> the safety, the political parties then will go into the communities and talk to people and can pass 
uh, independently they are all the people and the people will decide who they vote. Uh, and then the traditional leaders will then have received them as part of the KDC. But it was one incident, we saw it, yes, I know what you are referring to, <laughs> where one of them then went and decided to be on the stage. And Is that not irresponsible? Uh, to some extent, we have been saying to the traditional leaders, we need to be our political. Because... No, I accept that. I'm asking, is it not then irresponsible? That's the question. Well, I wouldn't say irresponsible. I think there's an an understanding. Or that person might be having a vengeance and anger uh, (laughs) in him. And that is why he just decided, I'm going to use this platform to lambast and let Edward Eva and, and, and so forth. But that's why it's an isolated incident. It's not isolated. He's done it three times. Well, First with the ANC, then with the DA, now with the EFF. <laughs> it, it can hardly qualify as isolated. <laughs> well, I don't know. That dear Babela, you're trying to dribble me here, huh? No, no, I'm not dribbling you, but it's just one incident and one person all the time. But if you go to the others, and you can represent the sector, the sector is 863. No, I appreciate, I appreciate. The reason why I'm highlighting this factor is he's engaging the third most powerful party in politics at this crucial time of political point scoring and what have you. He does sort of enjoy a bit of prominence given his checkered past, even with the law that saw him very recently become pardoned. So, yes, sure, he doesn't represent the institution of traditional leadership, but in many respects, he does represent the institution of traditional leadership. He's one of 863, but a very prominent one among those 863. And we saw it on national television. I mean, it's not as if it was an isolated incident. It's something that happened there as an anecdotal event. It was very prominently in our homes at a very prominent time of canvassing for votes. That was well, mainstream. Look, Lele, I, I, I always liken it to a soccer. If you are his subject, uh, will be divided around soccer, soccer teams in South Africa. His subject will be divided among the political parties in the country. His subject will be divided among the various uh, denominations, churches. So for him to go to one church, it does not mean he represents the entirety of the community. So, But as you know that uh, he is an angry person, and, uh, and we, we just let go, and, uh, but he does not represent the entirety. Of Lonnie okay. incident, and therefore the traditional leaders are in check, they understand the protocols, and they are observing it to the latter across. I have one but final question. Who they choose in the politics is their own, their vote is secret, so let's just leave it that way. Okay, I, I, I would have had one final question, but I'm being told to wrap up. So I can only thank you for your time and your indulgence for the 45 minutes that we have had with you and certainly thank my listeners for being willing to engage. And Dr. Papele will chat soon. Thank you very much. Uh, the time was too little, but uh, it was worth it. I'm glad you said that. That means when we ask you to come back, you're going to jump at the opportunity. Deputy Minister? I will definitely jump into it. Excellent. It's on record uh, now. There will be a podcast. We will hold you to it. Deputy Minister of Corporate Governance and Traditional Affairs, Obed Babela, talking to us the role of traditional leadership in local government elections. That was the African narrative. That was Songa Zamabegza for the week. Thank you to those who have supported us. Please continue doing so. Same time, same Same time, same place, only a different presenter. Take care.